Hello, everyone, and welcome to You Scared of This, a weekly podcast where we, two grown-ass men, watch every episode of Nickelodeon's hit horror anthology series from the year 2000, Are You Afraid of the Dark? And then we try to determine whether or not it's still scary. I'm one of your old-ass hosts, Eli Phillips, and with me, as always, is my best friend, David Dykus. Uh, the less old-ass of the two hosts. Uh, how you doing? Uh, Dykus, I'm doing good. I want to pull back the curtain for a minute and acknowledge that we tried to record this episode last night and failed. We couldn't We couldn't get through the series without another uh, lost episode. Uh, my yeah. computer failed, recording died halfway through, so we're re-racking and trying it again. And the reason I wanted to bring that to our attention is because last night when we were recording, I accurately and correctly introduced you by that classic nom de plume of yours, David <laughs> The motherfucker, Dykus. That's right. And my, fa- my, my Christian name. <laughs> yeah, your, your given name. And today I failed to do that, so I wanted to rectify the situation. Because yesterday it felt good when I said, how you doing, motherfucker? Uh, I'm... To, to uh, quote what I said yesterday, I, I believe I stated that I was fucking oh, mothers. No. I believe I stated that I was fucking mothers and mothin' fuckers. <laughs> If I'd have remembered that, I wouldn't have redone this bit. <laughs> well, it's too late I, now. I'm not. I still hate that phrase. I've said it twice now. So we're redoing this one. Uh, last night we tried and failed. Tonight we are going to try, hopefully successfully, to review the tale of the laser maze. That's right, the tale of the laser maze. As far as episode titles go, this one is is up there. Not one of the, We've talked a lot about how sometimes titles just aren't scary. This title, not scary. This title, not hurt by that fact. This is still a title that promises a lot. Does it deliver mm-hmm. on that promise? Well, I guess we'll find out. Before we do, though, Eli, do we need to go over any, uh, any nude business really quickly? Why else would I be sitting on this slide, Dykus? Oh. No, I, I think you used the wrong inflection there. <laughs> <laughs> is that my going back S- up the slide? Sliding, right. sliding up to the news desk. That's nonsense. <laughs> Better. Yeah. All right, so here we are at the Nick News Desk to talk about some nude business. All right, what do you got for me? Hit me. All right, all right real quick, a couple of things, none of which are important to us, but all of which I think are mildly interesting. Nickelodeon's president since 2006, who has been with the company since 1985, her name is Seema Zargami. She left the company yesterday, like eight hours before we started recording. Did she leave amidst scandal, or was this just more bloodletting on the part of, of Viacom? No scandal that I know of. It looks like this is just part of the big Viacom shakeup. I think last week, or maybe last month, the president of the BET stepped down, and now Miss Zargami has stepped down. They've been sort of shuffling everybody ever since they got a new president in 2012. So, you know, it sucks to think about someone who's been with Nickelodeon for that long leaving the company uh, during a shakeup. But you hope that it's going to be good for Nickelodeon, maybe, I guess? Eh, potentially, I guess, maybe. I don't know. I, I hate to see an old hand disappear, someone who was around for the, the glory days of the, the 90s. For sure. Uh, but we wish her the best, uh, Seema. Feel free to. Hit us up, get at us, hop on the show for one of our final episodes. We know you're not busy. We'll take you in. <laughs> you can join us. It's a little late in the game, but we'll happily have you as a third host. Look, better late than never. 
can you imagine the final Freddy's? It's like you, me, DJ McHale, uh, Jose Prendes, and Sima Zargami. <laughs> that would be awesome. I mean, I'm up for that. <laughs> DJ, make it happen. We can't make demands of DJ like that. DJ, DJ I'm begging you. DJ, please make it happen. <laughs> At least get us Ron. You know we've been trying. <laughs> Come on. Uh, in other Nick news, Nickelodeon has partnered with Walmart and released green slime sauce made with great value ketchup. <laughs> Gross. Great value ketchup. <laughs> No, I'm sure I couldn't it's even fine. tell you what great value ketchup tastes like. I'm oh, sure the last time I had it was I, on a hot dog in middle school. I'm sure it tastes like ketchup, as all brands of ketchup do. Uh, I've but, had some bad ketchup. Well, I'm always excited to have more official Nickelodeon branded foodstuffs. It'll go great with my Oreo O's. <laughs> I hope not with your Oreo O's. No, I hope I, you mean like as part of the collection and not part of the meal. I know what I said. <laughs> are, you, are we going to get to watch a video of you testing green slime sauce? You know what? I, I rarely go to Walmart, but if I'm there and I find some of this green slime ketchup, you know what? I'll do another taste test. Are you out of Oreo O's? Yes. I've been trying to they... cut back on my sugar intake because it's driving me insane. <laughs> I need you to meet me. I need you to get some green slime sauce and some Oreo O's and meet me at the top of the news desk. Uh, okay. <laughs> I like that idea of Kel just going, um, okay, at some point. Speaking sorry. of Kel, he's actually I, part I, of my Sorry, I'm really business. tired. I, I missed that trick there. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. It's I made a good segue into my Kel part of the new business. I read an article from, I think, the Chicago Tribune, where they interviewed Kel Mitchell about the fact that he's going to be at Slime Fest, which I assume is going to be a festival just full of this ketchup. Just spraying it out onto the audience. People are kind of just... Hosing take, folks and ketchup. Catching it on their tongues like snowflakes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kel Mitchell did an interview where he talked about the fact that he is on a show for Nickelodeon right now. I cannot remember. I don't have the name of it in front of me. He's excited that he still has, like, fans of his old stuff and fans of his new stuff, and that's why he is going to be at Slimefest. Is he and his, uh, his, uh, I almost said co-host, uh, co-stars. He and his co-stars are going to be at Slimefest, like, signing autographs so that fans can meet up with them. I don't know if they're doing any, like, hosting duties, but... I'm sure they're going to at some point get slimed in ketchup. It's contractually required, I'm sure. It's really crazy to listen to the interview, or to read the interview, because he talks about, like, having kids, and being a dad, and being the old man on Nickelodeon, and how all of his fans are grown-ups, and when he goes into fast food places, people always say the whole welcome to Good Burger, home of the Good Burger thing. And it's so strange to think of this adult man. Do you think that haunts him? Do you think that just drives him nuts? He talked about it very positively, but I read it as though there was a thin veneer of, like, trying to hide the fact Agitation. that he wishes they wouldn't do it. Yeah, just, like, everything he said, I read it through the lens of he's trying to be nice and not admit that he hates it. Yeah. But maybe that's just my interpretation. But anyway, uh, I thought those were interesting pieces of news. The only other thing was, I think, in Forbes, I saw that, and this is part of the whole Viacom shakeup, that Viacom is down, like... Uh, 12% for the year, uh, like year to date, despite the fact that the S&P is up like 2 point something percent, so markets are going up and Viacom is going down, so hopefully the ketchup and slime fest and shakeups to their board all help with that. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if Nickelodeon flavored ketchup doesn't do it, I know that's not what it is, but... 
Somewhere there's a board, and that's the strategy on it. It's got a picture of Sima Zargami X'd out. It's got a picture of a bottle of ketchup, and then Kel Mitchell at Slimefest. <laughs> and then it says, question mark, question mark, question mark, profits. <laughs> I mean, that's as good an idea as I have, so yeah, good luck to him. Yeah, I couldn't do any better. Yeah. But anyway, that's all of the uh, really random nude business for us. I just thought all of those were vaguely interesting things, so we can slide away from the news fest now. Can I whistle this way? Good job. That'll Thanks. save me having to drop in another sound effect. Oh, cool. I should have been doing that this whole time. It's a good thing we adopted that recurring bit, like, 90-plus percent of the way into our podcast. <laughs> Listeners, every episode, I'm going to try and introduce a new bit. It's like me trying to make gas, gas your nasty a thing. Uh, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> let's, let's conclude the nude business here, and let's move on to the episode at hand. Yes, the tale of the laser maze. The tale of the laser maze, which is episode number eighty-nine of Are You Afraid of the Dark? This one originally aired on May the twenty-eighth of the year two thousand, and it was written by Peggy Sarlin, her one and only contribution to the show, and directed by Mr. Mark Salard, who's directed a few new batch episodes. Better late than never, Peggy. Another one and done. I don't know what it is about this this season, these seasons, I guess. Uh, there were a lot of one and dones. I think it's just that we had a lot more people to kind of latch onto also over the early seasons well at any rate this is going to be a tucker episode and we can get into the significance of that towards the end mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we have a, there's a lot to unpack there but we'll get to it this <laughs> is the last episode from the original batch of midnight society players and when we start this episode oh man we start fast and furious with vange and quinn having a staring contest <laughs> Extreme sports rule. <laughs> I have it in my notes here. It looks like they're just gazing longingly into each other's eyes. Yeah, if you change the music in this, you would totally not be at all surprised by them kissing. Yeah, drop in Pachelbel's cannon on a violin, and I would assume that makeouts were about to happen. <laughs> you could you could edit that together so easily. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> like it cuts from Quinn to Vange to Andy playing. <laughs> And everyone, and everyone but Tucker is making out with somebody. <laughs> Vange looks, uh, Vange, like, looks away, and then we cut to Megan going, no, keep going. And then we just reverse it to her staring back into Quinn's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> that is unfortunately not what happens. What actually happens is there's a sound in the woods, Vange looks away briefly, and thus loses the contest. Quinn celebrates like an asshole. Quinn makes a huge deal of this, of course, because he's Quinn, does a really embarrassing victory dance. Tucker walks up and decides to make this whole thing about him. Mm-hmm. Way to go, Tuck. He uses this to begin his story about winning and losing, and how sometimes winning is like losing, and losing is like super losing. The worst kind. The tale of the laser maze! The The tale of the laser maze. The tale of the laser maze actually does start off Fast and Furious with some extreme sports. I don't know. Would you call Taekwondo an extreme sport? Absolutely not. (laughs) What's more extreme than kicking each other in the face? I mean, I've taken Taekwondo. This is not like MMA. Great, it's more exciting than a staring contest, but that's not saying much. We do get a pretty uh, fun fight scene at the beginning. We are introduced to our two young protagonists for this this episode. uh, Twin sisters Kara and Ashley Fox who are twins but look nothing at all alike. Yeah, the most important thing to know about them 
is that they are not twins. In fact, the actress that plays, who's the better one of the two? I mean, it depends on what part of the episode. Ashley is the taller one. Yeah, she's eight. The actress that plays her is eight years older. I hope some casting director got fired for that. Like, that is just egregious miscasting. You have, like, one job, just, like, hire twins. I know you've got it in you. You've done it before. Are you afraid of the dark? It's it's whatever. Anyway, these characters are, are intended to be twins, so we'll read them as such. And we're told by narration that these two are very competitive with one another. They compete at everything, from grades to who has the better hair. And now to Taekwondo. To physically punching and kicking each other in Taekwondo. Uh, they take This episode takes a cue from last week with the tale of the last dance, in that this whole opening sequence is told mostly through action and music. Uh, not just music, some Buck Wild music. <laughs> some classic, like, Are You Afraid of the Dark action scene music, which is just like guitars and saxophones and the kitchen sink. Cuts back and forth between, like, a rock guitar that is wailing and a jazz saxophone that is wailing. And this is, like, the scene where one person gets their chocolate on the other person's peanut butter, only it's not chocolate and peanut butter. No one goes, hey, when they hear this music. Break! So the girls have this Taekwondo match. Uh, They're pretty evenly matched with one another. It's a very close fight. Until at the very end, Ashley manages to kick her sister in the chest and score the win. Uh, Kara is a dick about losing. Their, her, their sensei tells her that she has to bow and show respect, and she refuses to do it, and she, like, nudges her sister with her shoulder to show how much attitude she has. Gives, her, her, gives her the old shoulder check, the most disrespectful mm-hmm. move in all of television. She, dis- she disrespects her sister. They get into a huge fight. They're arguing about, like... One of them being a sore winner, the other one being a sore loser. And their sensei starts waxing poetical about how they need to work together and they need to support each other and lift each other up. This scene is funny for a couple of reasons. The first being, uh, Kara complains that her sister is a sore winner. But then Ashley explains that, no, she's beaten Kara five times in a row. Like, this is not just a, a fluke. She is, she's just simply better at this. She's just a regular winner. The second funny thing about this scene is that, like you said, the uh, Taekwondo instructor starts sort of pontificating and monologuing to himself about how they need to have something called Hop Joe. Uh, but as he's rambling about this, the camera pushes into him and his entire class leaves. This almost has, like, the flavor of a slightly later Disney sitcom joke. Like yeah. something that would have been on maybe Lizzie McGuire or Hannah Montana. The camera pulls in on him. He gets more and more serious and philosophical and like lost in his own thoughts. And then we do kind of a hard cut to a, a uh, the camera pulled out. And we see that not only have the girls left and aren't listening to him, but everyone has bailed. Uh, and then there's like goofy musical cues. There's a sad little like you lost a mini game in Mortal Kombat music cue. <laughs> So after this, the girls are walking away. They're exchanging some really lame trash talk with one another when mm-hmm. they are approached out of nowhere by a, a strange man indeed. This, yeah. this skanky-looking, Tom Green-looking motherfucker. I think we called him Snape at the Roxbury last night. <laughs> there was some 
bizarre joke yeah we have where we compared him to snape at the roxbury uh oh i was talking about how he has on a blue velvet jacket and oh yeah his clothes are very like horrible clubbing outfit from the year 1999 slash 2000 he has on a bright orange shirt that's made out of some shiny textured fabric and i said that he looked like a wizard who had decided to go muggle in the year 1999 at a nightclub and that's so that that's was pretty spot Snape on yeah this this uh, but this creepy dude introduces himself as drake and he says that he is in charge of basically running a venue that hosts the most extreme athletic challenge in the world my company is the largest manufacturer of adventure games in the world no the universe <laughs> so now we all automatically know what we're up against here Drake says that he's been watching these girls and he thinks that they are the two ideal candidates to test out this new game because they're so competitive and so athletic. And of course, they're very excited to do it, but we need to focus on the fact that he says he's been watching them and they say, we didn't see you. Hold the fuck on here, Drizzy. Like, how the fuck is he watching these girls? He's creeping on them. There are, there are three possibilities here. A, he was sitting there in that room, this goateed man in a blue and orange (laughs) suit, and no one noticed him. He's got the blue and orange suit under a gi. Alternately, he has a blue velvet gi. (laughs) I win a blue velvet gi now. That sounds awesome. Uh, Possibility number two, did he drill a peephole through the wall to see this, like, Porky's style? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And possibility number three, he is a god. Also possible. Uh, we find out, of course, that he's an alien. We find that out later. But the creepy thing here is when they say, we didn't see you, he retorts, yeah. Oh, but I saw you. But I saw you, which is the creepiest, worst Ooh. thing that anyone could say. But especially if they're dressed like this man and have this goatee and glasses haircut combo. He's the worst. Those words should never be said with that inflection. <laughs> this episode is like, you could... Instead of going in the direction they go with it, you could stop right there and do a hard turn into a PSA. <laughs> First you say no. First you say no. Then you get out of there. So anyway, Drake has invited these girls to test out his newest game, the most intense extreme game in the world. The Tale of... I was calling it The Tale of the Laser Maze. <laughs> the Tale of the Laser Maze. That's the name of the sport. And so, I, I should uh, correct it's... myself double... Twofold there. The most extreme game in the universe, the laser maze. Mm-hmm. And of course, the girls immediately accept this this ridiculous offer because they just can't wait to, to show the other one up. Laser maze is just laser tag, but because we're on children's television, they have no guns. So just a quick aside, and this may not even be worth mentioning, this is one of those episodes with crazy video and audio transitions between every scene. I never like these. Anyway, one stupid transition later, Drake leads them into the titular laser maze, which looks basically like your standard late 90s laser tag arena. Yeah, it, the walls are all black. They sort of stop and start at weird angles, and there are black light drawings and paintings everywhere. Beautiful black light art all over the place, most of it depicting uh, wizards and or aliens. Get used to seeing it because you're going to see it a lot for no reason. They do a lot of hard close-ups on wizards and alien eyes and stuff just to show you how strange this place is. But, like, it's not strange. If any kid had ever done laser tag, it's perfectly normal laser tag. One of the girls even remarks on that. She says, Looks kind of typical to me. 
But Drake explains to them this is not ordinary laser tag. No, no. He explains the rules of the game. Both of the girls are outfitted with chest pads and visors on over their eyes that shoot out lasers. Because like you said, of course Nickelodeon's not going to have anything resembling a gun on this show. And let's call a spade a spade here. These visors that the girls are outfitted with, uh, it's just Bebop's glasses from Ninja Turtles, right? Oh yeah. This is these are They just have Bebop's glasses with laser guns on them. Yep. The object of the game is to shoot your opponent three times. First girl to shoot the other three times wins. Uh, what is so at stake we... here? <laughs> Seemingly nothing. Yeah, basically, he... Man, this is, like, so creepy. This guy goes to the school where these girls are in Taekwondo, watches them secretly, and then invites them to come play a one-on-one laser tag game against each other. That's the premise so far. Clearly, the girls are so caught up in their own, like, blood rivalry with one another, they're blind to how obviously terrible this idea is. The laser maze is active! This whole laser tag sequence is amazing. Like, this is the highlight of the episode. The match begins, and we get some more great not-Matrix music. Yeah, like we're back in that Tucker scene from uh, uh, Silver Sight. As the girls, yeah, they, they stalk each other through this maze, they shoot each other. To jazz the scene up, we get some, like, pointless crash zooms into this blacklight artwork that's all over the place. And we see Drake at a control panel where he's watching the girls. It comes down to a, a one-point difference, and Kara manages to blast her sister in the chest and score the winning point. And as soon as she does, Ashley disappears in some sort of weird Photoshop explosion. Once the match is over, like you said, we've, we've been shown that Drake is sort of monitoring the girls' vitals all this time. Drake leads Kara to a back room and tells her to fill out a mountain of paperwork describing her experience in the laser maze. Oh yeah, he asks her a ton of questions. After presumably days pass where she spend, that she spends uh, filling out all this paperwork, uh, Kara walks back to the laser maze and she is approached by Ashley, who we can tell now is definitely a robot because she talks like a robot now. I said time for round two. I don't want to play anymore. This place is weird, but I want to play. Can we talk about the fact that when she was walking back into the laser maze, the camera started dutching to the point where I thought it was going to turn all the way upside down in a very, like, Killmonger has taken over Wakanda shot? <laughs> I was like, if this if this camera would, completely inverts, I'm going to fucking love it. That would have been great. That does not happen, though. Ashley goads her sister back into the laser maze. Almost immediately, Kara wins again and just immediately shoots her sister. But this time, the result is a bit different. In a genuinely shocking, terrifying moment, the fake Ashley's head falls clean off and begins glitching the fuck out on the floor. Surprise, it's a robot. Did you expect to see her lose her head like this? Because it's kind of disturbing. Yeah, they do an interesting effect where her severed head is, like, talking. Yeah, it's a very, like... Uh, alien kind of effect, like the yes, like Prometheus. Yes. It's like the robots in that. Yeah, it's it, you know it's everything except for the fact that it's not like spewing white coolant everywhere. Right. Uh, but it's very well done and it's very jarring. This is probably the one moment in the show or in the episode where things actually get kind of like interesting and scary. Like you said, we already knew that she was a robot because of the way that she was behaving. Uh, uh-huh. We know that he's an alien because he says it's the best in the galaxy and context clues. Right. So like we. 
none of the none of that is surprising after it happens. It's just shocking how real it is when her head comes off. So this happens. Carol lets out a huge scream. We hit the commercial. Foot firing range, three second force shield. Out, you're out. Leave the grid now. And the devastating super strength, laser tag. The name that made the game, stadium not included. When we come back, Drake just keeps the game moving as four more Robo Ashleys just storm into the maze and blast Kara all at once. She wakes up on a futuristic operating table in a perfectly white open room. A really sort of surreal uh, setting here. I mean, she's in Oblivion. She's in Oblivion, yeah, exactly. They're reusing the set from Oblivion here. Where the fuck is my Kronos the Conqueror? <sighs> he got obliviated. Oh, fu- funny enough, uh, the guy that plays Drake is the monk from the beginning of that episode. Oh, really? Yeah, he's the one that I said looked like Buster Bluth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, she's on this weird uh, table thing. It kind of looks like the thing from Total Recall. But yeah. we learned pretty quickly, it's basically just a, a giant space alien photocopier for for humans. Yeah, Ashley is on a similar table next to her, and they've been making copies of her for, a, I guess, a couple of hours now. Yep, it scans her just like a copier would, and then from beneath her, it dumps out a shitty robot copy. I think the, uh, I think the walks... word you're looking for is Betatron. Betatrons! Ooh! Get used to hearing that phrase, because you're going to hear the words Betatron a lot. Yeah, so the girls are the alphas. They keep being referred to as the alphas. And all of the clones or replicants or hosts are Betatrons. And uh, this is when Drake walks in. He comes in through, like, a Stargate that is shaped like the number zero on a digital clock. Yeah, Drake marches in and starts dumping a little bit of exposition. He explains that the Laser Maze is an alien game show and that it's Drake's job to search the galaxy for contestants to play the game. And these girls were the best players ever. They're a huge hit with his weirdo alien audience, so he's making so as So basically, many... this is the plot of Space Jam for, from someone who has not seen the movie Space Jam and replaced basketball with laser tag. I don't know. That's, I mean, yeah, that would be a very loose retelling of, of the Space Jam myth, but... <laughs> Just replace Drake with uh, Danny DeVito well, and well... replace everything else with Space Jam. Well, we quickly learn that Drake is is not really in charge of this situation. He's kind of an underling. After he explains... He's he's working for a a rich clientele. He says he's just going to keep making copies of them until their their bodies expire, basically. The the human body can can only handle so many Betatron copies. Which I thought was really interesting. Um, That's not a concept that I can think of from any other fiction. Like... I would imagine in science fiction, you make a clone of somebody and you keep making clones of them, the clones get shittier. But the idea of it, like, draining the life of the original, the alpha, as they call them, was kind of an interesting thing to me. And now she has to deal with the fact that her sister has been cloned at least five times. All of this is interrupted when one of these Ashley bots steps through the Stargate. Oh my god, I'm not even sure how to explain what happens here. This Ashley, One of the Ashley bots steps into the room and starts speaking to Drake in an unnaturally deep alien voice. Drake, you failed us. In what has to be the worst lip sync I've 
ever seen on any television show. <laughs> the actress playing Ashley, in order to, to sell these lines, she is just opening her mouth and raising her eyebrows as wide and far as she possibly can with each syllable. It's like she didn't know what she was supposed to say, so she just wildly, like, flung her mouth around. It's so bad. You know what? I'm putting her in the bad line reading Hall of Fame, even for a line she didn't speak. That she did not, yeah, that she didn't deliver. The voice sounds like uh, when Tom Holland as Spider-Man does his interrogation thing on Donald Glover. And he's like, I'm not a, I'm not a girl. I'm a boy. I mean, I'm a man. <laughs> yeah. Which is also my favorite scene from that movie. Uh, so basically what's happening here in the plot is that this Ashley bot, this uh, Betatron, has been hacked by one of the aliens. And they've used it as, as sort of a gateway, a conduit for them to talk to Drake and bitch him out. Because they're like, how come these girls aren't playing? We paid good money to see an awesome fight. The fuck is going on here? You gotta get this shit back on the road, man. And then they storm out back through the Stargate, and Drake's like, Alright, girls, I gotta start cloning you and sending those clones out to be entertainment for these aliens. We get another weird moment here where Kara he overhears all of this, and she offers herself and her sister to go instead. Like, why send... She asked him, why send Betatrons where you can just send us, and we'll go and perform for the people? Which, which he agrees to do, because the Betatrons are not as good as the originals. Which raises the question, why not just do that all the time why do you need the betatrons yeah especially if the betatrons get worse as they go and they kill the alpha it does not make any sense if you're playing a non-lethal game i get it if it was like a westworld situation where you're really fucking killing these things but it's like if you made westworld and said we need these robot hosts to lose that laser tag and it's like no dude you can just go play regular laser tag all of this, it doesn't matter. All of this ends up just being misdirection. This is to lure Drake into a false sense of security so the girls can double-team him and hit him with a huge double-flying super kick. Which is great. It's sort of awkwardly shot as to be, like, not super exciting, but also not super funny. And so it's awkward enough to become funny. They kick him through the Stargate and he disappears. The girls, after this, somehow make their way back to the laser maze where they find a robo-drake stalking the halls, trying to shoot them with lasers. Uh, We get some more ridiculous camera work here. They've actually sped up the footage of Drake to make him look more robotic, and it's not... that's not a good idea. It's worth saying, like, this guy looks like such a horrible office manager that there's nothing intimidating about him in a laser tag suit. Not at all, no. Like, I can't... I cannot be scared of this guy. Anyway, the girls find some laser visors and some armor, and they team up to take down Drake. Uh, They finish him off with a double laser blast, where they jump through the air doing another high kick for no reason in particular. They just shoot him. Yep. And he explodes, and they apologize to each other, talk about how they shouldn't have been so competitive, and from now on, they're going to be friends, and everything's going to be okay. And we get one of the, like, I think weirder sort of endings to an episode what you mean the zap transition back to the midnight society back at the campfire we get a bit more awkwardness from quinn he and vans resume their staring contest as the other kids guide them through the forest and megan puts out the fire the end funky ass theme song funky ass theme song Well, Eli, the tale of the laser maze promised a lot in the title. Uh, do you think it delivered on that promise? 
It definitely delivered a lot. In the same way that The Tale of the Lunar Locust had a crazy ass title and delivered a lot, this delivered a lot. I just don't know if it was quality. I don't think it was. It's really hard to impress on the listener just how crazy this episode is visually. Yeah, and not in the, the sort of good, campy way that Ron Oliver's work is. The difference is that Ron was being deliberately campy, and I think this episode is trying to be cool. <laughs> is it? I don't know. It's it's a lot of black lights, and it's a lot of neon, and it's not enough goofy sound effects to make me think that they're in on the joke. <laughs> like, it doesn't feel tongue-in-cheek about itself. Which is not to say that I didn't enjoy it, I just don't think it's good. The, the thing about this episode, like, aside from that one moment where the Ashley Bot's head falls off, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say it here. I was not scared of this. Eli, were you no. scared of this? No, 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 no. Nuh-uh. Not even the title. Nothing. No part of it. This episode made no sense at all. Like we already talked about, there's no reason for them to keep making these Betatrons of the girls. Yeah, and they don't add anything to the story arc about the girls. Like, if you remove the Betatrons and just force the girls into a life-or-death competition against each other, where they have to choose, like, I can win and escape, like the the Forever game. Yeah. The Forever game basically does what this episode is trying to do emotionally with its characters. So they've already done it successfully once, and here they just take that premise that they've already properly executed on and fuck it up. It doesn't make any sense. It's like they just really wanted to do that effect of someone's head blowing off. Which, if that's what it takes, fine. I, I will say, I think I liked this a little more than you did. Like, I had fun watching it the first time. This episode is... I'll just read straight from my notes here. This episode is silly, it's nominally exciting, and it passes the Bechtel test, so... <laughs> you know what? That is... I think that's enough for me to give it a, like, a very conditional, very, like, mild recommendation. Not only does it pass the Bechdel test, the girls never talk about a guy, so that's good. They don't even talk about a guy when they should, which is the conversation they should be what having What does that mean, Eli? <laughs> it means that they do not have a conversation about Drake. That is true. So yeah, just your mileage with this episode may vary. Just know that it is it is hella dumb. I'm in the middle of watching Westworld Season 2 right now, and not in the way that like a normal person would watch it. I watch every like every time a new episode comes out, I watch it at least twice in one week. Um, I'm deep in that shit. And for that reason alone, I thoroughly enjoyed watching this episode. I'm really glad that this happened now rather than at some point in the year when Westworld was not on. Because yeah. I am deep in the world of robot clones getting blown to shit. So something that we have to talk about now. This is indeed the final Tucker story. Yeah, it's the last episode from the leader of the new batch, and it's the last episode from a member of the first Midnight, or the, the second, I guess, Midnight Society, depending on how you want to think of it. Here, As far as final stories go, this was maybe not the strongest note to go out on, uh, but it's it could have been worse. Yeah, I mean, what would you say is Tucker's best episode, looking back over his long history with the Midnight Society? Well, I've got all of his episodes listed here. Everyone will, of course, recall Tucker joined the Midnight Society in Season 3 and told the following stories. The Tale of the Midnight Ride. The Phone Police! <laughs> uh, <laughs> Guardian's Curse, Water Demons, Fire Ghost, Prisoner's Past, Tale of the Manaha, Forever Game, Jake the Snake, Oblivion, Bigfoot Ridge... Time Trap and Laser Maze. I guess I'm afraid, I'm, I'm, I'm actually really afraid 
that I know what you think Tucker's best story was. I will continue reading verbatim from my notes here. Wow, so uh, quite a range spanning everything from clunkers like Foam Police and Fire Ghost to some truly classic quintessential episodes. Like Jake the Snake. God damn it. He told 13 episodes in total. For the most part, it feels like his stories kind of got better towards the end. He really hit a lull there in the middle. Most of his last few episodes were really good. Oblivion was great, Time Trap was great, Laser Maze was good enough, and of course I'll always have a soft spot for something like Shake the Snake. Forever Game I thought was good. Forever Game was good, and even Tale of the Manaha I've kind of warmed up to a bit. A few a few months removed from us initially watching that. Is there, I know we talked about this a lot with the first Midnight Society, and we said that the second Midnight Society doesn't really have room for it, but does Tucker have a theme to his episodes? No. <laughs> He really doesn't, does he? I mean, not that I can tell based on this. I mean, we have a technological thriller, a few episodes based on ghosts, uh, whatever the fuck Jake the Snake is, some Sardo stories. Yeah, it's it's all over the place. Can I submit what I think my favorite Tucker episode is? What's that? I think it's Prisoner's Past. You think so? Yeah, it was a Ron Oliver episode. It's about uh, the ghost of an escaped prisoner in a jail. It has that really awesome opening. I love Prisoner's Past. The opening is all I remember about that episode. The great, like, jailbreak thing. I, I've totally forgotten just what every other part of that episode. I remember I remember liking it. I think that's a quintessential episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? My favorite is, of course, Jake the Snake. If I had to pick an unironic choice, you know what? Tale of Oblivion was pretty good. Or Tale of Oblivion was pretty good. Or Time Trap. I mean, it's, it's a toss-up between either of those. I thought they were both great. So anyway, uh, with all of that, I guess it's time to say sort of our final, our, our goodbye to Tucker. Does he have the most clearly defined arc of any member of the Midnight Society going from like the, the shitty baby brother to like the elder statesman? I think it's definitely the most striking because it has maybe the most change of anyone. Tucker is the only member of the Midnight Society to really change over the course of the show. You know, we love Frank, but Frank goes out as an asshole. Yeah. And Gary, we get to see him grow and get the courage to talk to a girl, but at the end of the day, he's still Gary. Tucker, we get to see him grow up. He starts off as an annoying little prick and turns into, like, a, a, a nice bro-y prick. And we even get to see him sort of struggle with that in the episode where he's like, This was way more fun when I was the responsible one. So yeah, I would say that Tucker has maybe had the most development or the, the most change of any character in the show, which is really fascinating. So yeah, farewell, Tucker. I have to say, I appreciate the actor Daniel DeSanto agreeing to come back and, and bridge the two, the two different Midnight Societies. Props to him for being the only one willing to do that. Tucker, you'll be missed. I mean, we'll see him next week and everything, but you know. And hopefully in the movie. And hopefully in the movie where he comes back to once again reform another new Midnight Society. Is it him and a bunch of high schoolers or is it him and a bunch of adults? I hope it's him and a bunch of adults, like in that one Stephen King novella that's about a group of, like, storytellers who may or may not live in a magical building. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm just going to assume that it's Howl's Moving Castle. <laughs> that's the only magical building I know of. I think it's called The Breathing Method. Huh. 
So with all of that out of the way, we need to talk about what we are watching next week. And next week's episode is a big deal because it is the penultimate episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah, it's going to be episode 90. And as we referenced, this is going to be the penultimate Vange story. Yep, it's going to be the tale of many faces. I don't know what to expect based on that title. And it's been so long since we had a Vange story. It has been a really long time. Yeah, she told two very early in season six. And one of those was virtual pets, which was awful. And the other one was zombie dice. So she's 50-50 right now. Who knows what to expect? So stick with us next week and find out. Yep. Until then, we want to thank you for listening. If you want to find us online during these last few weeks, you can find us at facebook.com slash you scared of this. You can find us on Twitter at you scared of this. Catch up on our back catalog at soundcloud.com slash you scared of this. And if you want to find us on Apple Music or Google Play or Apple Podcasts and Google Play, feel free to give us a shout out on there if you feel so inclined. Yep, we would appreciate it. Uh, and with all of that business out of the way, I hereby declare this episode of You Scared of This closed. I'm tired. Extreme sports rule. Well, Leela, if it's not chocolate and what, it's not peanut butter, then what, you know what, never mind. I was going you to don't want to know. You don't want to know. <laughs> Gross.